KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I am here with Donika Kelly. I'm Deanna Riley, and this is the Hive Poetry Collective. So welcome, Donika. Thank you, Deanna. I'm so happy to be with you today. And you are Zooming in from Iowa. Yeah, from Iowa City. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Where you teach in the English department at the University of Iowa. Mm Mm-hmm. Creative mm-hmm. writing. I do. Uh, so yeah, I am really excited to have Donika with me today because I have enjoyed her books so much and they're so rich and deep and honest and play around with time and the imagination. And we're going to be hearing some of those poems today. But first, let me tell the audience a little bit about Donika Kelly, the author of Renunciations and Bestiary. Bestiary is the winner of the Cave Canem Poetry Prize, a Hurston Wright Legacy Award, and the Kate Tufts Discovery Award. She is a Cave Canem graduate fellow and a founding member of the Collective Poets at the End of the World. Her poems have been published in The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The Paris Review, and Foglifter. And like I said, she teaches at the University of Iowa. You know what, as I was reading that, I was going, it is bestiary, not bestiary, right? That's right, that's right, that is correct. I, before <laughs> before the book came out, I was saying bestiary. And then I was like, wait a minute, that doesn't look right. So um, I had to, I looked it up. Um, yeah, it would have to be B-E-A. Mm-hmm. These are the little things you learn as you go along in life. That's right. Um, well, so wonderful to have you here, as I said. And as always, we start with reading a poem that has really inspired you. Mm-hmm. And that is The Animal Spell by Zachary Schomburg. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to have you read that. And then We'll talk a little bit about it. Is there anything you want to tell our audience before you start reading this? Anything they should know? Just that it's from um, his collection, Fjords Volume 1. Uh, and Fjords Volume 2 has just come out this year. So this uh, Fjords Volume 1 came out in uh, 2012. So he's taking some time to get to Volume 2. I'm excited to see what happens in the new in the new book. But this is a weird book. and I really love it. Um, this poem just really animate something in my mind. So should I just go ahead and get into it? Yeah, let's go ahead and listen to it. All right, the animal spell. Someone once told me that animals are people under spells. And if you fall in love with them, the spell will be lifted. I recently fell in love with the black trumpeter swan. I watched her ruffle her neck feathers for hours, watched her peck bugs from her breast. I was sure she would make a beautiful bride she was always a black trumpeter swan. I once brushed a horse's hair for three straight years until it crumpled into death. The truth is there is no such thing as spells. The world is always as it is and always as it seems. And love is just our own kind voice that we whisper into our own blood. (laughs) That was Danica Kelly reading The Animal Spell by Zachary Schomburg from Fjords Volume 1. This is the Hive Co- Poetry Collective, and I'm Deanna Riley, and I love this poem. I love it so much. It's a prose poem, a very it short is. prose poem. That's right. That's right. Um, and I generally am not suspicious of prose poems, but I, I feel like <laughs> prose poems are, are tricky to make work, and for some reason, well, not for some reason, but like he really makes this work um this poem just like by the time I get to the end 
I'm just ready to like jump into my chair and like raise my arms go yes it is love is our own kind voice that we whisper into our own blood (laughs) love is just our own kind voice that we whisper into our own blood Zachary can I quote you on that (laughs) I I could see like putting that as an epigraph and just writing a poem about Mm -hmm. about that line you know I was just looking this over again before talking to you and I recently heard a woman giving a craft talk, not a craft talk, just like a TED talky kind of thing mm. on um, narcissism. Mm. And she said, Beauty and the Beast is the ultimate fairy tale of thinking you can change a narcissist. <laughs> and I think this is sort of what this is about is the mm-hmm. fantasies we create in our mind, but he does it so wonderfully in this prose poem mm-hmm. form of it being like almost like a little fairy tale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, that like he was told a story, that the speaker has been told a story about what love is, right? And the transformative powers of love that they can change even um, uh, animals into humans, right? You kiss the frog and it turns into a prince. Um, you know, you you help the beast stop being a beast and he'll turn into a guy who, you know, lives alone in the castle. Um, but what I find interesting, like when we get to the end of it, I there's something about like that, that desire on the part of the speaker to, um, and the practice of wanting to change some other being into something else, right? And I feel like this poem is about acceptance and the route through acceptance or to acceptance is through the self, right? If we accept ourselves, we accept the way that we love ourselves, then like, that's what the practice of love becomes, our right? Our own it's, kind of voice, mm-hmm. our own voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like our kind, our kind voice can change someone or something else. It's like, no, our kind voice is how we tend to ourselves, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree that there is no such thing as spells. Um, <laughs> like that part, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in spells, but I wouldn't make as definitive a statement. There's no such thing because what do we know? But yeah, um, it's like saying there's no such thing as a miracle or no such thing mm-hmm. as magic. And mm-hmm. I have this thing where I'm like, I don't believe in ghosts, but also that doesn't mean they're not real. Like I've been like sort of dealing, I've been sort of processing some of that. I'm just like, well, I don't really know. You know, it's like, it's hard for me to believe in a ghost but I had some things happen in the living room one time when I wasn't in it. There were noises. I was like, well, that feels like something. I don't know what it is. Anyway, that's a digression. What's that great line in, in Hamlet? There are more things on heaven and earth mm-hmm. than are dreamed of in your philosophy. That's right. And that's right. I think it's, I mean, especially as a poet, it's good to keep open to that weirdness and to that mm-hmm. magic. I like how you said this poem is so weird. It is. And like, that's what we love. We love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The brushing the hair, the horse's hair for three years straight. I'm just like, why? Like, this is a strange speaker. The speaker's like, oh, this is the way to love is like to brush and brush and brush. And it's like, no, that did not help the horse. Right? Like that there's, it's like we we are taught, I think, to believe in that power, in the power of love to, tr- to be so transformative. But I think oftentimes in the poem gets at this, what we miss is that that really does have to start with our, with our kindness turned towards ourselves, right? And sort of t- accepting things as they are, like what we see, what we're experiencing is actually what is happening, um, as opposed to some, there's some, some other magic going on, you know? amazing how he jumps from the swan to the horse and mm-hmm. it's seamless I mean yeah. all of a sudden you're in a completely different place I mean that's real skill when, when mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's really hard to describe how that's even possible but mm-hmm. I have to say that when I look back on some of the biggest mistakes relationship wise in my life mm-hmm. it has been Maya you know just mm-hmm. believing the fantasy in my head um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I guess it's, I guess that's just the problem of being a, a story maker, you know, a human, mm-hmm. uh, where we, we just have to make things up to move through the world. Well, those narratives are so powerful for helping us make sense of, of our lives, 
you know, like I think the, the, the thread of a story um, is what get, helps us understand our lives as an experience that has some kind of meaning, right? Uh, and it can be really hard to let go of those stories or to revise those stories or to investigate and interrogate those stories. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that's been like a big project. That was a big project of the renunciations was like doing some, some revising, going back to the story and trying to figure out, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love it because that's mm. what, that's what my whole thing is. I, I just mm. feel like poetry is just using language to really understand our lives and real, really re-experience it in a mm. different way. But mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I love the animal spell. This guy, Zachary Schoenberg, we could probably talk about for a while because he, he's an artist and he mm-hmm. has a press and just yeah, really- Black Ocean. Yeah. yeah, really interesting guy. I looked at his website and I loved his art too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad I, t- I ordered, um, I, don't, I can't remember which one. Some of them are out of print. I read, I read yeah. a couple books just because mm-hmm. I, I read the, what was online. I liked it so much. He had some other yeah. poetry. So thank you for that. Um, let's hear one of your poems now. And we were thinking that the one that resonated really well with this one was Portrait of My Father as a Winged Boar, which is on mm-hmm. page 31 of Renunciations from Gray Wolf Press, Amazing mm-hmm. Press. Um, so why don't we go ahead and listen to Portrait of My Father as a Winged Boar. All right. Portrait of My Father as a Winged Boar. When his mother dies by metal turned slicing blade, from her blood springs my father, whose name I refuse to say as he refuses his father, the half-known man who sired him. In the dry LA light, the boy, my father, turns so that he is caught. One way, a winged boar, another, a giant, a gold blade of a man. Both high-skulled, thick-maned, a juvenile without a sounder a boy without a mother. He recognizes himself only in the man, carves himself into golden armor, but the redding fact of him, the curved tooth, the thick neck and beating wings, trembles beneath his skin. Whatever sheen the California sun burnishes out of his body, whatever good work his thickening hand compels, whatever woman he touches in the afternoon on the roof, he cannot deny his firstborn, his red fledgling, her many heads and hands what he makes for her, a junk bike she loves, cattle, red in the field, a mirror, a red wreckage of her body. Thank you. That was Danica Kelly reading the portrait of my father as a winged boar here on the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna Riley, and we're talking poetry. We're so lucky to have Danica Kelly with us today. And the reason I thought this poem resonated with the other poem was the the imaginative mythic mm-hmm. element, which you bring in a lot. You have Oracle, mm-hmm. I, there's some Cronus and Zeus in your mm-hmm. poems. And this is kind of like um, a chimera or something. Like, this is a deep, this is kind of a bit of a deep cut of <laughs> the mythology. Uh, the, so when Perseus, uh, cuts off the head of Medusa, um, we get uh, Pegasus, which most people know, uh, they're familiar with sort of that particular origin of that particular mythological hybrid animal. Um, but there was another, Pegasus has a sibling, had a sibling, uh, and it was either a winged boar or a golden giant man. And if it and I was like, well, sure, like, obviously, because none of this makes any sense. <laughs> this is like absurd. But if it's the golden giant, um, I, his name is Chrysor, Chrysor, something like that. Um, and he becomes the father of Gerion, who, who tends the red cattle that Heracles eventually steals. Um, and so I was really interested in sort of, I have a poem in bestiary titled, uh, love poem Pegasus. Um, and I was sort of interested in um, just that 
there was still something about that myth that felt about Medusa and what she was holding inside her body that felt really interesting to me, felt compelling to me in some ways. Uh, so I like that, that either, or either it's a winged boar or a golden giant man. Like those are not the same. <laughs> like they're really just like, those are really different. The shapes are very different. Um, I just like, how was Medusa holding all of this? Like, that's also a big question that I have. Uh, so there was something in that, that felt really, uh, rich for, uh, investigation. And it helped me sort of frame how I was thinking about like my dad, um, who does seem to have both the golden giant qualities and the, what I would imagine are the winged boar qualities, right? Like the sort of animal side, but then also the sort of polish and the, um, and the bigness, um, that, uh, is powerful, you know? Well, one of the things I've learned from poetry when you're thinking about difficult relationships or difficult situations, be them mm. personal, political, anything, is that when you zoom out like that and say, what is this like? How is, I mean, it's really kind of almost seeing things systemically in a way, mm. instead of, you know, not just what's in his heart, what is he, but how is this universal? How is this mythic? How is this archetypal? How is this mm -hmm. human? How is he not really a demon, but just, more of a character from our collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like, how is it that like, we can understand ourselves in one way and also exist in an, right? So like, I think there are lots of um, folks uh, who imagine themselves to be good, but are incredibly harmful. <laughs> and, you know, like that, there's like a duality that isn't actually a duality. It's like a bit of a spectrum. Um, but sometimes people really try to shape themselves into being perceived as good, right? Even if they know they're doing things that are not. And I was really interested in, um, in the, with the figure of the father in this book, um, thinking through those complexities, right? Thinking through what it means to to, to do harm and to still have a narrative of being good, like to be harmful, but to have, and like really push forward a narrative of being good and to believe that narrative, I think. Um, so that helped me sort of figure out, like working with that figure of the father helped me figure out some things about my relationship with my dad, um, which has been very helpful. <laughs> I remember when I used to teach high school English mm. and I had to teach my high school students, what is a theme? Mm -hmm. And, you know, because they'd always want to do something like really lame, like the theme in To Kill a Mockingbird is racism. Like, okay. That's a No, you know, you, it's an insight. A theme mm -hmm. is an insight on life. Mm -hmm. Like the theme in To Kill a Mockingbird is more like superstition is being compared mm -hmm. to racism. You know, mm -hmm. the first section is about superstition with Blue Radley, and then the second mm -hmm. part is about the actual trial. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they're putting being put side by side. So, no, there has to be an insight. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it sounds like that's what writing this poem has given you like a mm -hmm. deeper insight and reading it too. The, the reader has this um, almost like a picture in the mind of this character. Mm in a mythic way, but the language too. When his mother dies by metal turned slicing blade, from her blood springs my father, whose name I refuse to say as he refuses his father, the half known man who sired him in the dry LA light. The boy, my father, turns so that he is caught one way, a winged boar, another, a giant, a gold blade of a man. I mean, just so beautifully mm. compressed. You like these kind of columnar, like a, a narrow column. You have that a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What goes into your decision-making there? Or is it just natural? Well, some of it is, uh... Well, I really like tercets. So there is that part. Um, it was like such a heartbreak for me that the first poem in the collection 
is quatrains. Yeah, so I was like, why would that happen? Like, why would anybody choose quatrains? Um, <laughs> and, but that was like, which is like, I think a very, it's a very strong position to have over something that is like in many ways, not particularly consequential. Um, but I really like tercets because they feel more dynamic. Um, there's something about that. The, the second line is a kind of fulcrum where it, it, it feels like there's a, um, there's an expectation in my mind of movement and a, a kind of um, motive energy uh, that is exciting. Um, and I, 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 when the poems are operating more on sound, I think they tend to get a little bit narrower. Like when sound is one of the big, um, because I think I, I like uh, it, it, the poem then can feel fast in a way um, that sort of brings the sounds closer together. I don't know if that's like a real thing, but that's what I think right now. I'm thinking back on some of my poetry and thinking, yeah, mm -hmm. when it's really kind of popping, it, mm -hmm. it does seem to get narrower. Mm -hmm. I, I learned a word in this poem, the word sounder, which is mm -hmm. herd of swine. Mm -hmm. Good word. Thank you. Well, it's like, that was what the boar brought, right? Like the, the boar, I was like, well, what are words that are related to like, you know, like, pig family structure, <laughs> right? And I never would have come to that word. That wasn't a word that was just available. That was not one hanging out like in the recesses of my mind. I was like, let me see what these, what the, what the structure of like the, the, the Borer family is, right? Um, and that really, uh, that was exciting. It's like, that's one of the things too about using the mythology that um, it gives me access to language that I wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, there's some um, empathy or I don't know, there's just some feeling into this man, both high skulled, thick mane, a juvenile without a sounder, a boy without a mother. He recognized himself only in the man. So there's this kind of rejection of the mother. And then mm -hmm. carves himself into golden armor. Like I wasn't thinking of the myth you were thinking of, but when I heard golden armor, it did feel mythic. So I thought golden fleece. I thought the shield mm -hmm. of Achilles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just felt really macho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think too, like the, there is something that like, if you, like when I think about like the myth of Medusa, right? Um, like those beings that were inside either her blood or her body don't have a mother. Right, like in order for them to be born, the mother has to die, right? Medusa has to die in order to have Pegasus, right? In order to, to for these beings to emerge. And that's heavy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so what? much in these myths. I just love them so much. It, you just, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, Harry Potter. There's just this enormous world. You can just keep <laughs> only better. You know? There's <laughs> so much. And people will argue. They'll be like, well, actually, and then they'll be like, you know, uh, the, because I, I used to say, oh, the Pegasus emerges from her body. So like, what was the gestation process? I used to sort of, that was one of the things I would say when I would read um, Love Poem Pegasus. And I remember someone saying, well, actually, Pegasus emerges from the earth when Medusa's blood touches the earth. And I was like, either way, it's weird. <laughs> like either way, where did the horse come from? I'm like, we can argue technicalities, but it doesn't. Like, this is a lot, like a whole horse with wings that a person can ride. Like that's like a lot of steps from like a, what had been a mortal woman's body. So if we oh, could just also think about that, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. I never get tired of the old Greek myths. Well, let's, mm -hmm. um, Okay, so we're, let's, let's hear another poem now here on the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm talking here with Danica Kelly, um, author of Renunciations um, and Bestiary. And it's time to listen to another poem. See, what are we doing now? How about, I think we're on hymn. Oh, I think, I thought we were gonna go in the Chapel of St. Mary's. Oh, in the Chapel of St. Mary's, right, sorry. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Unless you have a preference. <laughs> no, I don't know. Let's go, let's go in order here. Okay. All right. Uh, in the chapel of St. Mary's. I can't tell you what happened there, why I entered the sanctuary, a non-believer, only that I've been thinking about worship, the altar of the body and supplication for some time. 
My thoughts turn, as they often do in the season of absence, to my wife and how tired a God can get when called, and too often, for little reason, but loneliness. Of course, I don't mean God here, but rather the woman I love who alters the orbit of my life, pulls me with the density of light toward her, the draw thinner when she is farther away as she is now. I try to find comfort in the inevitability of science when what I lack is faith. The sanctuary, the stained glass, poor girls saturating it with soft chatter, small pots of stargazer lilies, a lace ribbon for each pew. This place is full of faith in the unknown and I don't know how to believe in what I cannot see. Tonight, I will drive through the foothills and into the valley. I will try to make a little practice to trust you are with me, even though you are somewhere else. Thank you, Donika Kelly. I was in the chapel of St. Mary's from Renunciation, Grey Wolf Press. This is like available everywhere, right? I mean, it's on Amazon, it's on the indie book mm-hmm. bookshop, yeah, and lots of independent bookstores. Um, yeah. Um, well, once again, there's always, there seems to be a trending toward the mystical mm. and the magical and this idea of even though the speaker is a non-believer, she's drawn to the sanctuary. But I, I, I love how the opening immediately expresses the inexpressible. I can't tell you what happened. Mm. Like it just opens the door to, okay, mystery right away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Why I entered the sanctuary and then you immediately, you know, kind of see a church. There's a need for faith in this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the need for God seems to be conflated with the need for the other, need Mm. for someone else. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, for me, the, uh, when I was thinking about this poem, I've been really wrestling with the notions of faith, um, with the notions of what it means to believe in something that you can't see. And it was through writing this poem, that was the first time I articulated that, that I really do struggle, um, with trust, like trusting in things that I can't see, which is fundamentally my issue with faith. (laughs) And, I had sort of, I've given up uh, on uh, a belief, my ability to believe um, in God, like in a, in a higher power that looks like what we, what many folks call God, Um, (laughs) which is just, uh, which I think I have like a somewhat uneasy relationship with, like my inability to believe it, it feels not exactly like a failure, but um maybe something in that in that family where I think I wish for the ability to believe and I think that's one of the things that um the speaker is wrestling with in the poem as well uh the beloved is gone uh and things are not steady and so what does it mean to trust uh what does it mean to trust that person uh when they aren't there I had this trouble also with chemistry. So like I, I, I was, when I was, a, when I was a student, I was just like, it, it's one of those things where I couldn't see what was happening. And they were like, this is what is happening at the chemical level, like at the atomic level. This is how the atoms are interacting and the molecules are doing that. And I was like, but are they, do we know? Or is this a story you're telling me? Because that's what makes sense right now. You know? Yeah. And they go, and Here, I, we're proving it with math. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't know what these numbers are. Like numbers are also like, what are they? Um, and there is that kind of, if I can't see it, it, it really is hard for me to, to connect. And I, and I want to say, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with narrative, that um, I couldn't make a story that made sense through the route of faith. I had to make a story that made sense through the, through, through, practice and process. So not faith, but practice and process and time. Um, And I think that's one of the things that the speaker is also um, working through. Well, that first poem was about how you can't, you have to alter the narrative. Mm -hmm. You have to, you have to make it about the blood, almost the body. Mm 
Mm -hmm. rather than this fairy tale in the mind mm -hmm. and the way the other the beloved is described here pulls me with the density of light toward her yeah. uh, it feels almost like a law of nature or something physical mm -hmm. and I think there is something like when we're in proximity and like what we understand as proximity, right? Close to the people we love, it changes how we are. Um, like I, I, that was one of the reasons that the, the pandemic was so hard and has been so hard. Uh, it's just like the inability to be close, to be pulled, like to be pulled, but not to be able to move toward, you know, like I feel this, this very grateful towards my grandpa who was in Modesto in California. And I haven't seen him in so long. And I just like, I just like, I feel that need. And I'm like, when do I get to be close? Yeah. Right. You know, I remember once I was in Mexico and I climbed to the top of this mountain to see a pyramid or this big hill. Okay. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, who was like a freshman in high school or something or younger, was waiting down at the bottom with her friend. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't get back down. There was like you had to go up this narrow, this narrow ladder and there was this backlog of people and there was this huge line and I wasn't going to get back until after dark. Oh, wow. And I will never forget the pull on, in my body to get back down to my daughter. And I just, I just like cut into line and people were screaming at me and I'm just like, people were like <laughs> physically trying to push me out. Cause I just, I'm mm. like, my daughter's down there. I, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And I just had never experienced a pull like that. That was really strong, but we just do feel how when we're with certain people, we feel differently and how we vibrate mm -hmm. differently with people and how difficult long distance relationships are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for certain people who really want intimacy. Yeah. Or yeah, or like the, like there's a way that like sort of long distance can sort of bring in a sort of tautness right, can bring in a kind of tension that can be really lovely. Um, but that's also a part of the practice, right? Like practicing and like sort of moving into that, into that loveliness. Uh, and I think that's like also like, I think the speaker is like trying to get to that place, like. <laughs> and she's baby. entering a sanctuary in order to mm -hmm. feel it. Like, you know, please just, you know, bring this feeling of faith into me. And it's kind of amazing that places are built in order to generate that feeling of faith. Yeah. And it's, it's, it was, uh, the, the chapel, I went into a chapel at St. Mary's college, um, in the, in the Bay area. And I was doing like a, a one day writing retreat. And I remember just sitting in there and being like, why am I in here? But it was quiet and it was cool. And then like all these little girls start decorating and they were, and they were so cute. It was like, it was very precious. And I was like, oh, a wedding is about to happen. And that felt like the greatest irony <laughs> where I was like, oh, this is like, not even that like a uh, religious service is about to happen, but that's sort of the, the union of two folks in, uh, in the belief that they can make something long lasting together. Like that's what's about to happen here. So that also, I think, was driving some of the energy in the poem. Yeah. Well, people never give up on, on that idea. No, no. no. <laughs> well, I love that you have this in couplets. Yeah, that's a very basic. My couplet decision is always a basic decision. Whereas I'm like, well, there are two people. So couplets. <laughs> You're a little couple. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's yeah. go ahead. Um, I always can like just talk and talk and talk about poems, but I, you know, this I don't think the audience wants to audience wants to hear us just like going on and on about the same poem. about the structure. <laughs> yeah, the structure and just you know, the diction, the syntax, all that stuff we love. A little bit. A little bit of that goes a long way, I think. Um, so where are we now? Uh, are we on uh Danica? questions the oracle you have yes. i mean that's one thing i just want to tell the audience about this book is the book is very woven together with 
poems that appear and are scattered throughout. There are oracle poems. There are kind of epistolary little letters. Mm -hmm. Dear Dash, Dear M. Yes. Dash, which <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> is a convention. It's an old mm -hmm. literary convention. It's Dear Somebody, who is, will remain anonymous. Mm -hmm. And there's these letter poems. And some of them are, I guess you call them erasure poems. They some of them are redacted. redacted. So there's like the black bar. And then there are some erasure. So there's like a little bit, there's a little bit of both. Um, both strategies to control, um, both are meant as strategies to control um, the way information is being delivered to the reader. Um, and also as a, as a way of uh, taking care of my speaker who I'm asking to do a lot. I'm asking the speaker to go into a lot of difficult places. And sometimes it's, it, 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 I came to the strategy really intuitively of just uh, not writing things that I wouldn't want to have to say. I'm like, oh, I don't want my speaker to have to say this. I don't want anybody to have to read this. So <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take that out. So the erasures are more that, um, are doing that work. So you say it and then you take it out. Yeah, like I know what's in, like, so there are some bracketed bits, uh, the brackets, uh, some in, brackets with empty, around empty space in a number of the poems. And I know what's in there. Like when I read it, I'm like, I know what's in the bracket um, to myself, but I don't, but I don't say it out loud. The speaker doesn't have to say it. The reader doesn't have to read it. You know, um, you did the hard work of saying it. Mm -hmm. You're just mm -hmm. not putting it out there right now. That's right. That's right. I was in therapy for, I, did, I had a very intensive therapy. Uh, I don't know. Like we really, like I've been in therapy for almost 20 years now. Um, but around the time that I was writing this book, I was like, oh, I need some focus support around uh, dealing with uh, childhood sexual abuse. So it was really helpful to have that support, to be able to say the things that had happened to me and then decide, does that go in the book or does that not go in the book, right? Does that go in the poems? Does that not? And mostly some things went into the poems that I was surprised by. And I was really, I'm really um, happy with what well, remains unsaid. So you do have these series of epistolary poems, redacted poems, erasure mm -hmm. poems, and um, you have the oracle poems. Uh, I think the titles of the sections provide a lot of cohesion. They're mm -hmm. now, then, now, uh, now, then, and now. But I feel like there's an arc in here and it's a redemptive arc and love. Mm. Love is the redemptive element in mm. me when I read this. Well, thank you know what I just thought? I was like, oh, this is like what happens at the end of Zachary Schomburg's poem where it's like, the speaker is, you know, whispering to herself, like her own love, right? Like, like the speaker is like, I love myself. Like coming to that, I feel like that is a part of the arc being like, what are the stories that keep the speaker separate from herself that, you know, keep her at the edges of her own life? And can those be rewritten? Can those be revised? Okay, so I promised a poem, so we better yes. go. <laughs> um, which one was it? Do you remember? <laughs> is it no, I do. Uh, we can, uh, Danica questions the Oracle. Danica questions. One of my favorites. Okay, yeah. 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 Danica questions the Oracle. Who hid my dad in the mountain, impoverished where he would remain, invisible and rationed, not on milk and honey, but on bologna and saltines until he grew strong enough to kill the father? Which father? Do I mean his daddy exiled for the rest of his diabetic days to a closet and a house with no power, no water, where my dad, his sisters, and his brothers caught for a time by the crack rock and the pipe lighting up in the dark lived? Surely not his daddy, Oracle. Surely not. How long was he the youngest? How long was he a child? What god swallowed him whole? The god perhaps who split his mother in two or took his brother with a bullet from another father's gun in the sunlight in the afternoon? Did he really hold his dying brother's hand, Oracle, the brother who wanted only an apology on my dad's behalf? Who held him when his mother died? Who told him of a heaven where dead mothers and brothers go? Oh, the pigeons. 
What of the pigeon's oracle? Did he tend them, watch them rise from the roof of the house with no power or water, but a daddy in a closet, his sisters and brothers flaring in the rock light? Did he delight in their return? The pigeons, I mean, did he ever delight oracle in anything a child might? Did he look for his name in the sky? Did he ride a bike made from junk parts in the South Central LA sun fast as a boy might? Surely he did that oracle, surely that. And when he rose like an improbable stone from the father's gut, whichever father I mean here, whichever father makes sense, the siblings, the pigeons, his daddy in exile, his name in the sky, when he rose with the stone of himself in his hand, covered in bile and mucus, free now of someone more powerful than the child he surely once was, did he know the terrible thing he would become? That was Danica Christians, the Oracle from Renunciations. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna Riley. I'm talking to Danica Kelly. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM, ksqd.org. Um, well, they say poetry doesn't answer questions, just makes better questions. <laughs> the yeah. ineffable once again, you know, mm -hmm. expressing the ineffable. But I mean, just from a craft point of view, it is really amazing that you could write a poem that's entirely questions. But they're uh, questions for the Oracle, so. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So, uh, I think around the time I was writing this poem or short, I don't know, like I, I encountered um, Catherine Barnett's most recent book, which I think is titled Human Hours. And her questions are so good. Like she's so good at questions. Um, and there's a way in my mind that, the, that, that, that this poem feels connected to that book, even though I'm not sure what the route is. <laughs> But she was a journalist. Uh, and so the questions that she's asking in that in that poetry collection um, are incisive in a way that uh, feels really instructive. And so um, what was I the know. Name, what was the name of that book again? I believe it's titled uh, The Human Hours. Okay, I think that's the title. Um, and she's such a she's such a wonderful, generous writer. Let's see. So many poets, so <laughs> many great poets, such That's a right. huge landscape. Mm -hmm. Once again, you really lean into the imaginative and in the mythic. And when he rose like an improbable stone from the father's gut, whichever father, I mean here, whichever father makes sense, his siblings, the pigeons, his daddy in exile, his name in the sky. When he rose with the stone of himself in his hand, covered in bile and mucus, free now of someone more powerful than the child he surely once was, did he know the terrible thing he would become? Of course, you're referencing Zeus and Cronus, is it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But also, it's like, it's so it, it's Zeus, but then also all of the other, like the, that, that sort of first tier of gods, right? Um, it's all of Zeus's siblings. Cronus is swallowed. Mm -hmm. um, and if I'm remembering correctly, the mother gave Cronus a stone in place of Zeus, right? So Zeus was never swallowed. So I don't know, like there's, it's murky. It feels a little murky, but I, I, I was like, this feels right though. Whatever I'm doing right here at the end. You're mixing it up. You're mixing it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, you know, yeah. these, these, these myths all have all these different versions. So mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. not? Yeah. But, I mean, just this, all of the things that form someone, how are, how is a person formed? What are all the influences going into it? And the ultimate tragedy at the end is that everyone wants to rise above their circumstances, but someone, mm -hmm. some people just repeat it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's a later poem in the book um, from the catalog of cruelty, where then the father is throwing up the children, right? Like this figure of the father has now become like Cronus is now has swallowed his children and is now, you know, vomiting them up. 
onto the floor, but it's like, so I think you're right. Like there's that way that, um, the, the father in this book is sort of caught in a bit of a cycle. Um, that's, it's really hard to break. You have a way here of, um, which is always so effective in poems of talking about hard things in beautiful way. His sisters and his brothers caught for a time by the crack rock and the pipe lighting up in the dark. I mean, that is kind of a beautiful image mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. Um, you know, lighting up in the dark, but it's mm-hmm. about crack. Um, mm-hmm. Or took his brother with a bullet from another father's gun in the sunlight in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Just, you know, LA. It was just like so beautiful and hard and like, and so many awful things happened in that beautiful hard light, <laughs> you know? Uh, like it's it's such a bad, it, at least for me, it's like the, it's it's a bit of a, it's a beautiful but traumatic like backdrop um, where, and I'm not the only one in my family and certainly not in the communities that I lived in who experienced that, that degree of trauma. It's just like, it was rough, like the, the 80s and the 90s, late 70s, 80s and 90s, the rough time. While the tall palm trees are blowing mm-hmm. and yeah, now yeah. And the beautiful palm trees against that, those gorgeous sunsets. It's And all the fruit trees, like so much fruit everywhere. Just, you know, like it felt like in some ways it's like so, or like it was like so idyllic, but then there was also the smog. It's like the balance of things was... You know, the way I feel about LA is like, it's really all these beautiful neighborhoods and then it's just sliced apart with these disgusting freeways. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. there's bars across the city. Mm -hmm. It should just be so much more beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's so big. So it's so much, so sprawled. Um, So much there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think like some of that, like, I think the, the beauty is important to me, like the, that in order to write about some of the things that I'm writing about to, to move into those spaces, there has to be pleasure. Well, this beautiful line, oh, the pigeons, oh, the pigeons, explanation point right in the middle of this. Oh, the pigeons, what Mm -hmm. of the pigeons Oracle? Did he tend them, watch them rise from the roof of the house? with no power or water, but a daddy in a closet, his sisters and brothers flaring in the rock light. I mean, you're putting these exultant image of the the pigeons rising from this house that has no power or water. The father's in the closet and the brothers and sisters are flaring in the rock light, Mm -hmm. really mixing the beauty and, and the pain together. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for notice, noticing that. For noticing that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I think like, when I feel like there is something I really, I, <laughs> I lived in New York for a couple of years and people really talk down on the pigeons, but I think pigeons are very beautiful. And so I think it's also like, there's the pigeons are being, everyone's being exalted, but there's like this language that's sort of doing this lifting um, of, of around things that have not been, really lifted before you know like there's and for me it's like there is like his siblings who were dealing with addiction most of them like made it through they you know like they came out on the other side of that and um so for me it wasn't like the end of something it was like this was a phase like everybody was kind of like when I was like thinking through like the material for this poem I was like they were all kind of in the shit (laughs) sorry (laughs) Sorry, I'll beep, all... I'll beep that later. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Sorry about that. But they were they they were in the they were in a rough place. They were in a. Rough well, you know, place. it's too bad yeah. we can't cut, say what it was. You know? <laughs> that's what it was. It really was. That's what it but was. they but they came through, right? And they you know like uh, and and shaped lives that were complicated and not one thing or the other. You know, or not all one thing or the other. Why? Is Which seems that? really remarkable. Why is it that some people make it? Some people pull through luck. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I, re- I read this. I think it was a Malcolm Gladwell book recently, mm-hmm. and he was talking about one of the reasons why Sylvia Plath might committed suicide was because of the kind of gas they used in London at that time. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. 
and it's kind of like all these guns now, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it just happens to be, there's this availability of guns or gas or mm-hmm. whatever, like, and if it weren't there, maybe you'd just make it through. So some of it is circumstantial. Yeah, absolutely. And some of it, I guess, is just who you are. Mm-hmm. And nurture. Well, let's see. <sighs> Amazing. You know, just kind of palm and you just like take a deep breath afterwards. A poem of questions. Variable stanza lengths in this one. I'm looking at stanzas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You've got a lot of one, two, three, four, five. What is that? I, what do you call it? I, I, I can't remember. I feel like it probably starts with a P, though, don't you think? Like a Q? I don't know. I have a no kin, idea. A kintain? A kintain? <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe that. Something like that. Yeah. 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 yeah so you got a lot. Sinquane? Something. One of those. Right. And But then you yeah. have these nice monosticks a single mm-hmm. answer mm-hmm. surely not his daddy oracle surely not mm-hmm. uh, okay um so yes. what's our next poem because we probably got time for maybe one more that- we have time for one more i'd love to read a dead thing that a dying feeds the living it feels like somewhat hopeful <laughs> i mean it's not really uh yes on page 84 it feels more hopeful than the other two yeah, maybe okay <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a hopeful title. Hopeful. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's about, you know, the, the circle of life, right? Which we all love. Everyone, you know, like seeing the Lion King loves circle. That's right. Right. Okay. Right. So let's go ahead. All right. Uh, a dead thing that in dying feeds the living. I've been thinking about the anatomy of the egg, about the two interior membranes, the yolk held in place by the calaisi gases moving through the semi-permeable shell. A curious phrase, the anatomy of the egg, as if an egg were a body, which it is, as if the egg could be broken then mended, which, depending on your faith, broken, yes, but mended, well. Best to start again with a new body, voided from a warmer one, brooded and turned. Better to begin as if some small-handed animal hadn't knocked you against a rock, licked clean the rich yolk and left the albumen to dry in the sun as if a hinged jaw hadn't swallowed you whole. What I wanted, a practice that reassured that what was cracked could be mended or at least suspended so that it could not spread. But now I wonder, better to be the egg or scaled mandible, the small hand or the flies bottled black and green spilling their bile onto whatever's left, sweeping the interior, drinking it clean. I think something might have grown there, though I know it was never meant to be eaten. It was always meant to spoil. That was a dead thing that in dying feeds the living. Danica Kelly from Renunciations, her newest book. When did this come out? Pretty recently, right? Uh, The uh, the Renunciations came out in uh, May. So it's only been, it's been a few months. Brand new book from Gray Wolf. I'm Deanna Riley. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. So what one of the things that really struck me here is that what's left behind after a kind of rebirth mm-hmm. or after a kind of healing, um, it, it's... <laughs> it's just something you just kind of have to look at and go, well, that's just something I have to leave behind. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really know what it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a strong image because it kind of feels like what's left of an egg, mm-hmm. the spoils of an egg, that can be kind of sulfurous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that there are things that like the sulfur, right? Like there are, there are animals that are like, yeah, I can work with this. <laughs> I get this. I get there's something. Everybody. Not for everybody. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like I think there is a way that, like, um, I think here, like the image of the egg as metaphor for like a relationship, sort of being like a whole thing, um, with like a permeable boundary, but like not you know, it's a somewhat permeable boundary. Um, sort of being cracked or broken. And then it's like, well, what comes next? Um, and again, like I'm thinking about the Zachary Schomburg poem and that 
you know, there's only so much we can do. It's like, the thing is what it is. Right. Uh, what I kind of got on this too, is this image of a hinged jaw hence swallowed you whole. So there's this image of a snake swallowing an egg mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the egg is something that, you know, is pre-verbal. I mean, it isn't even born yet. And there's mm-hmm. this idea of like, what happened to you before you even knew what the heck was going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. how do you come back after that? Well, right. it truly is, you know, just rising from the ashes of just recreating something completely new and somehow mm-hmm. feeding on that, on, on uh, you know, what has been eaten by a snake or broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the flies have gotten to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that, um, at least uh, to my mind, there is something about, uh, I think there's a story about relationships and a story about forever. And I have a friend, um, the poet Levin Osman, who's really wonderful. And um, she said that uh, in Somalia, they have a saying, it's like, people just stop walking together. You know, I was like, we were walking together and then we stopped walking together, you know? And there's something like painful in that, but both people are still walking, just not together right? There's still like that movement forward. It's, it's not a, it's not an ending. Like that part of the journey has ended, but it's not the end for either person. Um, and it, it's really, I've taken a lot of comfort in that, in that saying, right? That's a beautiful, simple metaphor. mm -hmm. Well, we've Mm -hmm. come to the end of our time and Mm -hmm. it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey through your book. Um, and just like, like 30 seconds, can you kind of tell our audience maybe what you're working on now or I can tell you what I'm thinking about now and that might lead to work and, um, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm thinking about, uh, whale family structures, uh, specifically humpbacks and sperm whales. And I'm thinking about time, geologic time, deep time, space time, uh, and I imagine that at some point poems will emerge from that, those thinkings, uh, but not too many just yet. Oh, I can hardly wait. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for coming into the hive, buzzing into the hive, Danica. Amazing. This is wonderful. Thank this you. is wonderful, Dion. Thank you for, for having me. Thanks. Uh, this was really great. Yay, poets just talking for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. This has been the Hive Poetry Collective. Thanks for listening. Tune in every Sunday at 8.